Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And I was putting together the proposal this week and going, God, can I do this? Like, I don't know. I'm terrified. But I just said, like, if I said no, I would regret it for the rest of my life. Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Greta Thomas. And I'm Claire Hatton. And you are in the right place if you're after inspiration, uplifting stories and practical advice from innovative and pioneering women around the globe. And thank you to all our fantastic listeners who've left us reviews and have been in touch with interview ideas and questions. We really do love to hear from you, especially right now, because it's our birthday. Yes, that's right. Don't Stop Us Now has just turned one. Woohoo! Happy birthday, Greta. Happy birthday, Claire. Do you think we can say we're officially toddlers now? Absolutely. Did you know we're downloaded now in 92 countries around the world? I did indeed. It's completely remarkable. So, hello, Lesotho, Iceland, Sudan, Colombia and Estonia. Who'd have thought that after just one year we'd have that kind of reach? Awesome. Thank you, everybody. And to celebrate Don't Stop Us Now Turning One, we're offering the chance for one listener to win a free two-hour personal coaching or sounding board session with both Greta and I worth $1,500 US dollars. That's right. We love getting to know and being able to support some of our listeners in person. We don't take our individual clients on that often, so this is a really great chance for a free coaching session. Exactly. So head over to our website, don'tstopusnow.co slash win for all the information on how to enter. Now for this week's episode. Our guest this week has a habit of saying yes to things she doesn't know how to do, such as designing women's wear collections for Nordstrom when she'd never designed clothes before. We're talking about the unbelievably stylish Caroline Issa the CEO of The Tank Group, which includes the revered global fashion and culture magazine, Tank. Indeed we are. Caroline started her career as a management consultant, completely different to the business she's in now, and she worked in San Francisco, Singapore, and London. And one fateful day, a friend introduced her to the founder of Tank Magazine, and she fell in love with the business. And much to the horror of her family and friends, she left her big expat consulting gig and became CEO of the fledging business. That was 17 years ago. Fast forward to today, and Tank is one of the few boutique global print magazines still thriving. What's more, the business has grown to include a creative agency, and Caroline is constantly innovating and embarking on new projects, including designing those clothing collections for Nordstrom. Classic. In this episode, you'll learn the one thing you must know about running a business. How Caroline found a way to succeed in the fashion world despite ignoring the advice she'd been given. What makes her say yes to opportunities even when she feels terrified? 
and why she's reassessing how she uses social media. So without further ado, enjoy this conversation with the optimistic and courageous Caroline Issa. Caroline Issa, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thank you. It is such a joy to have you here because we've known each other for a very long time. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, so we've just worked out it was 17, nearly 18 years, years ago that yeah. we worked together in Singapore. Yeah. Wow, crazy thing. Crazy. Crazy. How can that have happened? No, five million years ago. I know. <laughs> it's madness. And it only seems like yesterday. I know. And we worked as consultants together. Yeah. Management consultants in a new office in Asia. And it was such a heady time for us both. Mm, it was. And I feel like so much has happened since. Well, it's just <laughs> hard to believe we were actually there. Yeah. But we're going to get into that mm. as we go through this wonderful interview because, wow, it's it, pretty exciting. Yeah. It's um, been a, a big adventure. It certainly has. And you guys might have met in Singapore, but here we are today sitting in a studio in the centre of London. So. A sunny London, no less. Yeah, less, sunny which never London. Happens. Sunny so thank you London. guys for bringing the sun. <laughs> Anytime. Mm. <laughs> well, as we usually kick off our interviews, what I thought was I would just ask you, how would you describe what you do today? It's so hard to put it into even a sentence, but I guess the way that I would describe what I do today is I am a storyteller and an entrepreneur. I tell stories through many of the mediums that are available to us and usually across the worlds of fashion and culture. I run my own business in order to do so. And you are, as you said, you've got many hats and you're the CEO of yep. Tank magazine. Yes, yep. And then the fashion director as well as, <laughs> I mean, we're a small business, so you tend to wear millions of hats when you own a small business. But, uh, you know, I'm business development. I am uh, accounting liaison. I am HR and social media expert and <laughs> the list goes on. But I definitely am very proud of my multi-hyphenate career. And most people are like slack slash and I've got several slashes to my career in business card. Yeah, absolutely. Well, mm. we're going to explore those mm. a little bit. But before we do, you come from a very, how do I call it? Um, exotic? Exotic. <laughs> yes. Exotic. That's a really good word. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> exotic mm. background. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about mm. your childhood mm. and where you grew up? Well, I grew up in the very non-exotic Canada. I was born and raised in Montreal, but I was incredibly lucky to be born to a Chinese mother from Singapore, in fact, and a Lebanese-Iranian father. So my father was born in Tehran, but was raised in Beirut. And they kind of have this incredible love story. They met in Austria, and then they, by chance, immigrated to Canada, where they had my brother and I. And so I grew up in this incredibly idyllic, very open country in which, you know, my first generation immigrant parents sort of had their own business. And I kind of grew up feeling like anything was possible, which I think is a very both Canadian thing, but also having two parents from two totally different backgrounds kind of allow me. And I think actually the number one question in my life has always been, where are you from? I think because I 
look like a complete mismatch of cultures. No one can ever sort of place me, Yeah, which I think I've always used to my advantage. What do you remember from your childhood? I had such an incredibly lovely, easy, encouraging childhood. My parents were both on the one hand incredibly strict, but on the other hand, so open. And I loved school. I had a great set of friends. I kind of was just so lucky in my childhood. And even when at the age of 13, I was scouted to model, my parents were aghast. (laughs) (laughs) They kind of let me at the age of sort of 15 and 16. And when I was, I can't remember, 16 or 17, they actually let me spend two months in Milan by myself. And I look back going, how on earth did they have the guts and the courage to let me do that? But I think they were so, I would like to think that they were so secure in how both bossy and feminist I already was, that they knew I wouldn't get sort of led astray. Even though my two months in in Milan taught me that I did not want to have a full-time modeling career because it was quite sketchy. What do you mean by sketchy? Sketchy. You know, I saw so many girls get eating disorders. I saw so many girls get sort of hit on by horrible sexist men because they were sort of powerless in this sort of fashion industry. And it taught me that if I ever worked in the fashion industry, I wanted to be on the side where I got to make the decisions. Mm. And when I came back from that summer in Milan, I decided to go to business school, undergraduate business school. And I gave up modeling and that's when I went to Wharton. Wow. Yeah. And had you always wanted to be a model or in the fashion industry as you were growing up? I think growing up, I always was obsessed with fashion magazines. I subscribed to magazines. I loved the content. I loved the storytelling. I loved the photographs. And my parents sort of let me indulge in that. Modeling, I think, was a great way for me to learn how to become a confident young woman. And it took me time to get there, but I was, it really, it actually was so positive in my life. What was it about modeling and that that experience that gave you the confidence? Because I can imagine with some of those other girls you witnessed Mm. who developed eating disorders Mm. and felt very powerless, Mm. the opposite could happen. What was it that gave you the positive outcome? I don't know. I don't know if it was the constant encouragement and sort of also the sort of my parents would be like, you know, looks aren't everything. Imagine a time when you're going to get older or I remember I had a buzz cut when I was in college and I thought it was more like an Audrey Hepburn pixie cut, but it was actually a buzz cut. (laughs) And I remember I called my mom going, oh my God, I got a buzz cut. And she said, Caroline, think of the people who have so much less than that. Your hair will grow back out. Your looks are nothing. Like never peg your confidence to your looks. She was quite adamant about repeating that constantly. And it was always about being academically ahead. You know, she's a Chinese tiger mom. Mm. And I think my parents just said, look, that's a wonderful thing to have modeling the fashion industry. Creativity is beautiful. The business of fashion is fascinating. But don't ever catch yourself up by kind of conflating beauty with confidence or beauty with power or beauty with your ability to do anything. And so I think that lesson was really ingrained in me. So you kind of walked away cold turkey almost from modeling, studied business. And then what was going through your mind about what you were going to do next? And did you view it as a stepping stone with the idea of, you know, running your own business? Was that very much still in the radar? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, my college experience, I went to college in America 
And I really had no idea what to expect. And I went to this very hardcore undergraduate um, Ivy League University. Ivy League. <laughs> I was going to McGill. I was going to stay in Montreal. I was going to live with my parents and just continue being like a total nerd there. And instead, I decided to be a total nerd in Wharton, <laughs> where it was highly competitive and doggy dog, but I loved it and I thrived on it. And I just found sort of like-minded, curious, international students that really, I think, again, were really encouraging. I didn't know what I was going to do. I met a bunch of management consultants. And at Wharton, you either became a banker or a management consultant. You know, <laughs> I did interview for a marketing position at Avon. That was kind of like, I was like, oh, I love beauty. I love fashion. Like Avon sort of in the beauty world. And I got quite close to that. And then I met the management consulting firm that both Claire and I ended up at Maricon. And I really fell in love with the people. And I then spent two and a half years as a young analyst crunching numbers when I graduated. But I really fell into that. I didn't even know management consulting existed pre-Wharton. But it was such a key point in my career, actually, and led to so many amazing coincidences and opportunities later on that I'm forever grateful. But it was like a whirlwind that I barely remember because I think as a young analyst, you're just working a lot and you know, you're living in a city, but not really living in that city. Yeah. Cause you don't really sleep that much. No, there's no <laughs> sleep. No. no sleep. And I really, I don't think I'm the best number cruncher either. That's not the skill set. I now realize that I was destined <laughs> to sort of become a master at. And I am grateful to my old consulting for Americon for kind of having let me learn about a role and business fundamentals that I do absolutely think prepared me more than any college textbook ever could have. For sure. And of course, that segues presumably to the bridge to where we are today, albeit you've had num a number of years with Tank, but from management consulting, you joined Tank, yes? I did. And that was such a weird, fortuitous route because actually I'd moved to London. I was working on a kind of retail company, but up in Nottingham doing strategy management priorities. Boots, right? boots. I was working with yeah. Boots, the chemist, yeah. up in Nottingham. And somebody introduced me saying, look, there's this little cool independent fashion magazine and they're a small team and they just need some help with their books. Can you just go take a look at them and just see if you can help them out with some business stuff. Because you you seem to be, you know about a business. I was like, yes, I do know about business. And this is just a friend who, who This was a this. mutual friend who knew the team. And so I kind of showed up and rocked up and I was 24. It's so funny. I look back at it now. I, I see my old notes. And I was making management priority lists for them. And I was like running their P&Ls, looking at categories and how profitable each category was. And they were this cool little magazine. And they had won this big pitch for Levi's to create a magazine for Levi's. It was kind of the start of custom publishing. And they were doing some art direction for L'Oreal for sort of Jean-Paul Gaultier perfumes and Armani perfumes. And I just thought it was the most glamorous client set, you know, coming from sort of Boots the Chemist to being able to sort of, oh my God, I'm like one step away from Mr. Armani. And I think, you know, I used to work like nights and weekends just sort of sifting through their terrible bookkeeping. You know, they would just like forget zeros at the end of, you know, it was just, their bookkeeper was a part-time artist and <laughs> it was it was a mess. And it was so funny. And I think I came in with so much bravura and sort of bravado and 
Uh, Actually, naivete. probably so much good information for them too. Totally. Yes, yes. I, I can't not give myself some credit, but I was sort of like 10 steps ahead of where they were at. But I loved the business and I loved the potential and I had no idea about fashion publishing, about the fashion industry from that angle. But I knew that, again, I loved the team and I loved the clients and I loved the potential. And sort of after essentially delving in and sort of soaking in everything, I decided to quit working at Maricon on my fantastic expat package. That's a, that's a huge <laughs> thing because I know exactly what that yes. expat package yes. meant. Yes, that was absolutely. Big. It was big. And my parents were terrified for me. They were like, are you serious? You are going to go work for a tiny fashion magazine, live in London, one of the most expensive cities in the world, and essentially work for free for like two years. And I was like, yep, <laughs> I am. That was 17 years ago. And when you look back on that now. Yeah. <laughs> I go, God. Do you think you're completely insane? Insane. And I can see how my friends and family thought I was insane too. But the thing is, I think I'm an eternal optimist. And I just think that I can work through anything. And I thank God for that naivete and that optimism in me because my God, it's been challenging and yet so incredibly rewarding. But yeah, I only think my parents like two years ago, maybe at my 15 year anniversary at Tank, finally said, okay, you made the right decision. <laughs> God. And I think I probably knew that the minute I started. I'm intrigued because you said it's been lots of challenges. Oh, yeah. Owning a small business is so full of highs and so full of the lowest lows. I mean, you guys probably know this too, and any entrepreneur knows this, but nobody ever tells you that a business is only going to survive dependent on two things, and that's cash flow and people. Mm -hmm. And nobody really tells you that as a budding entrepreneur that like it's all about cash flow. And you just think, oh, if I'm profitable, it'll be fine. But paper profit and P&L and account, you know, if you don't have the cash, you're not making any business. And, well, you can't um, pay your people. You can't pay your people. And then you need really good people in order to make really good things. Mm. And I think going into this business, I did not know that. My business partner certainly didn't know that. And I learned that the hard way. And there were times when I was like, I don't know if we're going to make rent. I don't know if we're going to make staff payroll. I don't know if we're going to make city council rates. You know, like, can we do this? And I'm proud of surviving. I'm proud of surviving as an independent print magazine, kind of at the core of our business. To have survived for over 20 years is a huge achievement. And what does Tank look like today? Because, yeah, congratulations on the 20 years. Hmm, thank you. It's a good question. Tank looks both completely different. If anybody from 20 years ago were to come back, they'd sort of say we looked very different. But at the core of it, I think we've always wanted to tell stories and, sh and have a platform where either underrepresented voices could share their stories and also be a place where fashion could sit very comfortably next to politics, could sit comfortably next to philosophy, art, and architecture. So tank is sort of print, it's digital. Those two things are sort of kind of the lifeblood. I don't think you can even say digital and print are separate anymore. Yeah. And what about the other parts of the business? Mm, so we do a lot of brand consulting work and strategy work on marketing for mostly luxury and retail fashion brands and jewelry brands and cultural institutions. And we still do lots of that. I'm really curious, though, because you've come into 
the fashion world and yes it was your absolute love but you you came mm. in really young yeah have you ever sort of sat in a room and felt like an imposter oh all the time it's hard to shake that imposter feeling and i've listened to numerous of your podcasts where so many of other female entrepreneurs have sort of really talked about that issue but yeah absolutely i've put myself in so many positions where i'm doing new things and i love that that's the one thing that i think has created this weird multi-hyphenated career of mine is that i say yes to things that i don't actually know how to do and that imposter feeling is ever present because I am putting myself in those situations. So about five years ago, funnily enough, one of my ex-partners from consulting for Americon from my San Francisco days had joined Nordstrom, a huge American department store and retail brand. And by having kept in touch with him, he introduced me to the Nordstrom team. And I ended up designing with my name in a label, eight collections with the Nordstrom team for the American market. Incredible. Incredible. I look back and I go, again, how on earth did that happen? And I had never designed clothes before. I had never gone to design school. And Nordstrom, so- if you're listening, close your ears. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> they luckily knew that. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that got them excited was yeah. that here was a woman who is sort of out and about. She's a businesswoman. She has a professional life. She travels a lot. I need clothes that will work hard for me, but I care about what I wear. And I think that... The clothes reflect your mood, reflect how you're going to perform that day. It's sort of such an extension of who we are. And they trusted in me, this incredible, huge business, a new label. And it was called Nordstrom Signature by Caroline Issa. But every design meeting, I'd be sitting there going like, I actually don't know what I'm doing. But instinctively, I know about style. I have an opinion and I have a point of view. Yeah, And I think it's so important to show up with a point of view. And people can like that point of view or they can hate that point of view. And luckily you work with people who want your point of view. But Nordstrom is just one example of a time where I was given an opportunity that I had zero preparation for. And how did you get through it in your head? And how did I get through it in my head? I said to myself multiple times that they obviously see something in me. (laughs) I don't know what it is. I'm not quite sure what it is, but that, you know, are compelling them to give me this incredible responsibility. The great thing is that you've gone with it. I have said yes. Yeah. The thing I think that defines my career is that I say yes a lot. And I like to put myself in situations that I am uncomfortable in, yeah, in the sense of career expansion. And so I do a lot of things that I, on paper, don't know how to do. I like to think that I'm resourceful and I listen and I learn and every kind of new experience has built up this fantastically kind of complex floral pattern that I can pull on. And it means that I'm open up to a lot of new possibilities. Others listening who may be offered similarly sort of opportunities where they haven't had the direct experience might have absolutely said to themselves, no, I'm not ready yet. No, I couldn't do that. If someone in that situation came to you for advice, what is it that makes you be able to say yes? I think I would say, 
you're a highly capable person. What's the worst that can happen? If you're interested in this, why not try it, you know, and put your heart and soul into it. And if you're passionate about it, something good will come out of this, whether it's a learning, whether it's a beautiful product. You know, I just think people have to say yes more often. I think people have to take themselves out of the boxes that we sort of put ourselves in. I get so many emails or direct messages from lawyers or management consultants and bankers, people who've sort of read about my history and say like, I love fashion. Like, how do I get into the fashion world? And I'm just like, email somebody that you love, shadow somebody that you love, go to a fashion show and ask a designer if you can work backstage. Just put yourself in a position where you're doing something new and you're learning and you're sort of putting yourself out there. Because if you don't put yourself out there, nobody one is going to know. I think the more that I said yes to weird new opportunities, other brands or other partners were sort of saying, huh, why can't we consider Caroline? She could do this. (laughs) You know, I've just been asked by a very incredible luxury brand to potentially work on a really big project. And I've never done anything like it. And I was putting together the proposal this week and going, God, can I do this? Like, I don't know. I'm terrified. But I just said, like, if I said no, I would regret it for the rest of my life. And really, I have such a great network to draw into. If I really can't do it, I can ask somebody who can help me and I can get there and I can get to the answer. So, I think I've also built up that network where I feel like I can kind of tap into anybody and everybody and they might help me out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I mean, you've certainly got a heck of a network. Now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> definitely. Let's talk about another side of you that must be quite a pressure, I would think, which is your social media profile. Mm. I think you're up to nearly 200,000 Instagram mm-hmm. followers. Mm-hmm. And every day, I would imagine, that it's quite a responsibility and a pressure. Mm. Yeah. Because a lot of it is about you and what you're wearing. Mm. So how do you deal with that? Mm. You know, what's been so fascinating about the social media phenomenon is that when it sort of exploded, I was sort of swept up in a sea of visibility. So all of a sudden, lots of us in the fashion industry who were behind the scenes, all of a sudden got pushed in front of the scenes. And I was very lucky at the time to sort of be part of a wave where that kind of visibility led to more opportunities of higher visibility. And I do question you know, how social media is really going to affect the next generation because there is so much pressure to put your best life forward. And I am pulling back and reassessing as to like, what is it that I actually want to use this platform to say? And I get really annoyed and frustrated because ultimately the things that on my post that get the most engagement are pictures of me when I'm somewhere fantastic and wearing a gorgeous outfit and the person inside of me says, ooh, but I've, I've just shared the most incredible young photographers series from the magazine and that gets like one-tenth the kind of engagement than, you know, me in a pretty dress somewhere. What would your advice be to either a mum today or a younger woman mm. about how to handle and how to put social media in its appropriate mm. box in your yeah. life? Yeah. I mean, it's such a great thing. Like, how do you put it in a box is you have to be so present and so willful to either put your phone down, switch off or unfollow 
or follow those accounts that really celebrate inclusive body types, diversity, you know, you have to be very open, I think, to not just look down this sort of narrow pathway of what in the past has been ideal forms. And I think the thing that I'm so proud about the fashion industry today, I think we have such an amazing conversation going on about diversity across everything, race, age, shape, gender, all of that kind of stuff. And I think to have that conversation in such high circulation now is a great thing. But I tell those women, you know, take everything with a pinch of salt and and follow more than just sort of the bloggers that show off their new bag every day, but look at accounts that are sort of celebrating interesting subject matter or just try to open up the view and, and not always just look at sort of one type of woman account or, or subject, but just be as open as possible. I want to move now to talking a bit about what it's been like as a woman mm. running a company. Mm. As a female entrepreneur, have you felt any difficulties mm. when you're saying, you know, a big negotiation or? Mm. You know, honestly, I felt it more, I think, when I was a management consultant, to be honest. Management consulting, banking, those have typically been obviously more male friendly. And I, I think becoming an entrepreneur and owning my own business and sort of just doing whatever it took – I kind of didn't really have a gendered view on whether I had the right to be at that table negotiating. When I started in the fashion industry, I had colleagues who would always tell me, like, you've just got to be more of an asshole. And I always said, that's just not. It's not you. <laughs> not in my, not in my yeah. DNA. I do speak to those people still and they go, God, you know, I guess you've proved us wrong. You can <laughs> actually be nice. You can actually negotiate in a way that it's not about like you lose and I win or this is how it is. And weirdly in the fashion industry, it's one place where women actually earn more than men. The models earn way more than men. And yet female designers at top houses are only starting to sort of infiltrate and management is still very much male-led. I think when I was dealing with having more men at the table as a management consultant, dealing with other CEOs, dealing with marketing managers, the fashion industry has been more female-friendly, I feel. But definitely at the upper echelons of the big brands, you're still seeing a lot of men. And So it sounds as if your training as a management consultant put you in good stead to mm. sit around those tables, but that you were still being told that you needed to be like a bloke. Yeah, basically. more aggressive. Yeah. You probably have had to be quite firm mm. and clear about where you're going and have boundaries. Mm. And so how did you do that in your own particular mm. style? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the style that I have is probably more cajoling. <laughs> if anything, it's sort of trying to win them over with logic and charm. It doesn't always go my way, I definitely have to say. But I think trying to close a deal, it's always sort of about figuring out like how do we both win out of this and how do I make sure that I'm not – putting ourselves in a position where it's sort of combative at the get-go. And so much of business can be so combative. And I think one of the joys of owning your own business is trying to work with people who 
want to hire you for your skill set and trust in you rather than like, I want to squeeze as much out of you as much as possible. And so we've actually had clients that have been incredibly difficult to deal with where we've said, it's just not worth it. We're too small. This is so much about us and what we love doing rather than the money and the paycheck. And we've probably given up very lucrative clients because we just didn't want to always have such a competitive relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like Caroline Issa says yes to many things <laughs> yes. and no to, no, no to some things. No to some things. That's yeah. true. That's true. Which is really important. Yeah. Well, we're sort of getting to the point where we're going to wrap up, but mm. I'm intrigued mm. about what's next oh. for Caroline Issa <laughs> and or Tank. Oh. God, if I could tell you, I would be very proud of myself. I have no idea. I would not have been able to predict these last 17 years by any means. It's been such a wild ride of surprises, of kind of just going with the flow. You know, if I had to tell myself anything, if I could tell my younger, newly entrepreneurial self, it would just be, just go with the flow. You know, don't overthink. There will be opportunities that come your way that you just cannot plan for. But what I can tell you is that I will continue doing the things that I love and I will continue working with the people that I love. And I will continue believing in sort of the ethos of inclusivity and supporting other storytellers and other talent who do not necessarily get a voice in mainstream media. And I think hopefully supporting young talent, whether that's design or photographers or fashion or graphics or writers. So day to day, as you wonder about how the next five years will unfold, you know, do you have sort of a motto or a saying to keep you going? I do. And I've, I've said it so often, but my mom gave me a book once that the title is Feel the Fear, But Do It Anyway. Great book. Great book. And really, I don't remember anything inside. I just remember the title at this point. And it's how I live my life. It's sort of, I, I put myself in positions you know, I, I say yes to opportunities, like I said, that I don't feel like it's 100% that I can deliver, even though I know I will deliver at 150%. But I like feeling that fear. And I've come to live with that sort of like enjoyable buzz of not knowing what's next and, and being okay with that. And I think as an entrepreneur, you just have to live with the fear of unknown and learn how to live with that on a daily basis. You've carved such an incredible global niche for Tank, the magazine, but now also the business and yourself. If our listeners wanted to find out more about Tank or you, how and where could they do so? Well, they can definitely go on my Instagram yeah. at Caroline Issa and also onto my two websites, tankmagazine.com and becauselondon.com. Those are my two editorial platforms where we share fantastic voices. I would love for your global listeners to learn a little bit more there. And presumably Tank, the hard copy is is available, available internationally. Available all good news agents. And on our website, tankmagazine.com, you can also subscribe, which I would highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll put all the links to do just that Thanks, on the episode page of Don't Stop Us Now. Well, Caroline, it's been a joy. It's been fascinating and inspiring to, you to learn more about your journey. Thank you both so, so much for having me. I think it's both terrifying and, and fascinating to sort of hear as I articulate what's happened over my career. And, you know, there's so many things that you want to share and you want to show and encourage others to do, but um, there's never enough time. 
If you had to put that encouragement into one quick phrase, I'm going to put you on the spot. What would you say? I would say be curious, work really, really hard and feel fear, but just do it anyway. What a note to finish on. Thank you, Caroline. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, guys. It was so great spending time with Caroline again after working with her so many years ago. I'm just so proud of what she's achieved, but not surprised. (laughs) That's great. Was she always that gutsy and fearless or do you think she's changed? Yeah, I guess. I I didn't really think about her like that. When I look back on it, I guess she was always hugely curious and optimistic. Fantastic. I love the way that she's found a way of saying yes to things she's never tried before and actually has learned to kind of welcome feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, we all need to channel a bit of Caroline's I can do anything mantra in our life, don't we? We certainly do. The other thing I love is how she's done things her own way. She hasn't changed who she is to fit into any particular way or prescribed way of doing things. Yeah, I think that's very true. She's definitely her own authentic person who really stays true to what she stands for. Brilliant to see. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Woo! Our next episode is one of our how-to episodes, so stay tuned for that to hit your podcast app in two weeks' time. See you then. Ciao for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 